Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Psychedelics. Man, we are fired up. We just got back from the Psychedelic Science event in Denver, Colorado, 2023. 12,000 registered uh, people, guests were there. And it was one of the most incredible experiences for Beyond Marketing to be a part of because the psychedelic medicine and treatments are here. They're here to stay and they're making a big difference in the marketplace. Dr. Curran, what was your perspective being at the conference? Man, what an event. I mean, to say that I was tripping, I'm not trying to say <laughs> that I was under the influence of anything, but I kind of felt like I was, man. Wow. 12,000 people, the the attendees, the exhibitors, the speakers, there was such a collective uh, mindset of, of people that are coming into this realm. And when you look at the statistics, when you look at the 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 impact and you look at the commercial development side of it, I mean, psychedelics are in the spotlight and this conference in Denver was able to propel us forward further into the future. And that's probably the most exciting part. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, it's true because it's the future is here. Like here we are 10 years ago. This would have never been possible when I was speaking with somebody else or sharing that back in 2017, there's about 1700 people. And now here we are 2023, 12,000. I mean, the, just the magnitude of the, of where the actual conference was held to go from one location to the next could have easily taken you 15 minutes again, just by the sheer size of the location, <laughs> which goes to show it's, it's incredible what's happening in the space to have people like Andrew Huberman there and uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tim Ferriss, Ronald Griffiths, all these big names in all different spectrums of life, sharing their experience with psychedelics, talking about the science and the data that's being found. We There's segments with indigenous elders talking about what's going on with these treatments, with these medicines, a lot of legal conversations as well as to where's legislation going. So we're really at the cusp of something that is going to be transformational in many ways. Now, there's a couple of things that stood out to me. I can share them on my end. Um, Dr. Curry, what stood out to you? you? You'll go first. I'll go after. Yeah. You know, Sebastian, I think when you and I took that walk around one of the exhibit halls and we had to go from one lecture to the other, <laughs> I think we hit our like 8,000 step mark just in between that walk. So the nice thing was we're getting aerobic activity in and we're having taken all this information in. But, you know, as you said, the guests that were there, we we had people from, you know, professional athletic side, like Aaron Rodgers, you mentioned, we had the co-founder of Whole Foods, John Mackey, the National Institute of Mental Health Director, Josh Gordon, Texas Governor, uh, former Texas Governor, Rick Perry, Melissa Etheridge. We mentioned Andrew Huberman. Nolan Williams from Stanford from, from in terms of St. TMS protocol, Matthew Johnson from Johns Hopkins that we had a pleasure of talking to. Yes. And, and I got to meet a lot of these people. And, and I know we all collectively did. Got to run into Eric Andre in the Hyatt lobby. You know, somebody we watched growing up as far as the, the comedians go. And, and you just see this such a diverse tie-in of people from so many different backgrounds who are coming into this space, not just for healing, but for this therapeutic understanding of what psychedelics can do. And that was exciting. At the same time, I have to play devil's advocate. Are we moving too fast? Mm. Is this is this becoming commercialized too quickly? I mean, there were things that threw me off in terms of of, of how many opportunities these companies have to solicit their business as a mushroom manufacturer or psilocybin manufacturer or whatever you want to call it. And that sounds pretty exciting to me. But at the same time, a little, a little caution, a little concern. 
For sure, for sure. There's actually a conversation that was um that was talking about this. And the conversation was all based on are we moving ahead too quickly? And this is a a, a panel that was hosted by uh in the deep space. They they called it Ask the Elders. And what they're seeing is that you take a look at businesses, organizations, you take a look at some teachers and communities, and they're collapsing. They're literally imploding within themselves because we're getting into a space that is growing so rapidly. People are taking two steps forward and not realizing that with those two steps forward, there needs to be some time to integrate, to, to take what the actual treatments are bringing forth to be okay, to actually heal. But there's a lot of people that are just taking them consistently. Businesses are booming. And obviously we understand we want to make some money. We want to build a business. We want to be able to help more people, but there needs to be a sense of regulating the growth. Otherwise we may find someone that is taking too much medicine too quickly, not following through on the treatment. And now that person can find themselves in a not clear and stable headspace. So it's really being powerful. It's being mindful as to how quickly are we growing? Is there a space to integrate the growth? And then how can we actually set up the right structures within business, within government, within communities to make sure that people going through treatments are actually going through them in a powerful way? Yeah. And, and, you know, Sebastian, I think that's when we have to look at the regulatory side of it, the compliance side of it. And that's what's great about this conference was that the NIMH or, or National Institute of Mental Health being prevalent there and talking about this and and Rick Doblin, right, the founder of MAPS, the kind of the godfather of the psychedelic industry, if you will, he did discuss the the importance of of what we did in the 60s and how we can't repeat that because there was momentum, you know, 60, 70 years ago with this movement. But what happened was that the direction of where this was going was moving in such a, in such a manner that I guess you could say people of higher powers were able to kind of suppress this movement. And that's exactly what happened. Then we had the eighties, the war on drugs, and this is very real. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, when I say real, I mean, this, there's a, there's an impact that's had on so many lives in the last six, seven decades because of what we're working with right now. And the irony to me is, you know, there was, there were, there were advocacy groups for decriminalizing, you know, some of the usage of these, of these treatment options at the same time, there was an advocate advocate groups for releasing people that have been penalized for using these. So there's a, there's a cultural shift and trend for sure. But again, to your point, you know, it, it, this tells us that this is a, this was the unofficial launch party mm-hmm. to a multi-billion dollar industry. And guess who's at the heart of it. And I have to say this because of our experience out in Denver, Colorado is like yeah. at the front of this Oregon, they're at the front of this. And this was, you know, this was again, you know. I think Denver is being a, a has become a pioneer in this area. Maps is kind of setting the precedent, and what's going to happen following suit is people are going to either jump into this this bandwagon and 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 ride the train to a path of success. At the same time, as we mentioned, are we moving too quickly? You know, I, I would say yes and no. In some cases, there are there are some companies that I feel like are just trying to make a maximal profit and not really seeing the small and steady growth that can occur with this in a very natural sense. So that's something that I, I think would be considered. But again, I mean, there were five days. There's so much to take in. Where do we even start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know? You know, and it's, and it's cool because like in a space like this, where 
the way that it shows up for me and being on the marketing sales business side of it all is on the business side, it's like we we're putting two bricks down and realizing, okay, maybe this one wasn't the best one to go there. So now let's replace with that one. Mm-hmm. And I was also speaking with a couple of other uh, medical professionals that were there as well. Some investors that were there as well. And I gave them that sentiment and they're like, you know, it's an interesting way to put it because they felt something very similar. This is literally something like this, uh, to your point, Karen, was done in the past, but it wasn't really done in an efficient way. So now it's like, how can we do what worked last time and how can we prevent what didn't work last time? Sure. And one of the things when it, goes, when it comes to policy that uh, some people are really getting ahead of is how do we make sure that the people with the most resources aren't the only ones that win, which yeah. is typically what happens. The people with the most resources, whether it's money, whether it's connections and networks, those are the ones that are able to have the biggest influence. And we these kind of treatment modalities and options, how can we prevent that from happening so that it gives the majority of the population a good availability? You make a great point. And, you know, let's get into the brass tacks of it. If you think about the reality of statistical uh, uh, metrics that we have when it comes to our, our populations that have been exposed to these types of, 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 of treatment options, just looking at, you know, mar- marijuana, for example, let's just talking about cannabis. Let's start with that. Mm-hmm. The nuance of the public perspective it had and, 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 you know, the cultural shift that's happened there. There's already been a number of lives that have been impacted in a negative way because of incarceration and things like that. And that's happened with psychedelics too. So again, we look at the people that are there at this conference their backgrounds, their their interests in this, and we say, man, there's a there's a large number of people that have been that have been suffering because of their choices to get involved with psychedelics and healing with these medicines. And in reality, now we're having. I'm grateful that we're able to, you know, be able to 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 have the capacity to do, use these treatments. But you know, I feel for those that in the past have been persecuted or have lost their livelihood. In my opinion, I think that's happened to a lot of people as well. But, you know, the, the science of psychedelics is, is expanding. And that's what's nice about this, that the scientific research and the effects in the brain and the potential therapeutic applications, we're understanding a better grasp on, on, on how all this is working. There's new insights, there's new studies, there's, you know, uh, studies looking into harm reduction, which is huge. I think when we look at the efficacy of, of using psilocybin for addiction, which, you know, we had a chance to talk to Matthew Johnson from Johns Hopkins about this. And he's pioneered and he had a grant to look into this more uh, in depth. And uh, even his studies with MDMA, there's such an emphasis on harm reduction in certain socioeconomic capacities that this makes this, these types of treatments much more viable and practical at this point. The question I have is, you know, are pharmaceutical companies going to come in there and say, great, we have something that works. Let's charge a thousand bucks for a pill. And that's already happening. Yeah. You know, so it's like, damn, we're doing so great. We're getting somewhere and now we're going to, you know, screw the, the 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 normal Joe, you know, who wants to get help. And and that that's a concern of mine, too. So, yeah, I digress. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's no, no, no digression, because, again, it, it comes back that, down to how do we regulate this? How do we regulate that the, the business? How do we regulate the marketplace? How do we regulate the um, all the necessary uh, uh, clinical trials that need to be done to ensure that we have the ne- necessary data? So there's so many different avenues and aspects in which still, again, this is an, a growing industry while psychedelics have been around for a very long time. Now in a mainstream context, this is, I mean, 10 years, maybe it's really more like three, four, when it comes to actually the majority of people, my mom, for example, we we're talking the other day and she um, has been dealing with some, she's doing great now, but after my father passed away, there was some time where she was feeling with some deep depression and we spoke about ketamine. 
And at first she's like, ketamine. She's like, that's a drug. There was no way I'd ever do anything like that. Well, fast forward a few months, her therapist actually invited her to check out ketamine infusion uh, treatment. And again, this is coming from a woman in Colombia because her therapist is in Colombia. She does everything remote with her. And it really took me by surprise. Here's somebody in Colombia talking about ketamine treatment to my mom in the United States and my mom being open to it. Yeah. It's like all this to say, this is, this is, there's so much potential and it's still so new. Now, how can we as, as professionals in the industry really support in making sure that the right actions are being taken to ensure that, again, this is built up in the most powerful way. That's so interesting. You, you mentioned ketamine to her and she's like, I don't know, but her therapist in Columbia says it. It's like, all right, let's do it, which fair enough. You know, fair, that's yep. her provider. Right? I get that. That's unique. You said about somebody from Columbia mentioning that because just this week, I think this is kind of how the powers above that make certain decisions on how things pan out. I don't want to say there's any conspiracies here, but I just find it ironic that in the same week we have this conference in Denver for, for maps with psychedelics same week we have the fda come out with draft guidelines for psychedelic studies and that same week following australia legalizes psychedelic treatment and internationally speaking if that's the case that's exciting sure because usually it's the u.s setting the precedent you know i'm proud to be american i will say we do set we do set down our feet and we set the path for others to follow but in this situation there's a collective understanding it's not just the U.S. There's many other countries that are being objective to other forms of treatment. And because these treatments that we're talking about are Southern and Eastern medicine. Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different conversation. Being an Indian guy, I don't want to talk about culture appropriation because when I was at this conference, man, I was I had flashbacks of going to the Hindu temple. I'm like, man, is that Lord Shiva? What's mm. he doing over here? Mm. Well, let, let's actually bring that up because I, I felt a very similar experience uh, when it came to some of the the the, um, the indigenous tribes that were there because <laughs> again we're talking this these 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 treatments have been around for a very long time and now we're appropriating what's been grown in nature and completely forgetting the roots of them there's actually i'm not sure if you if you caught it but at the very last day when they were doing an expo of prescription x which is rick doblin's documentary there was a group of indigenous people that stood up and protested for it i saw that i didn't i didn't get to i saw it on video i didn't get to see it in person yeah not in person myself either but through through video and just catching up on the news and you know it was beautiful because rick didn't didn't uh negate them no he actually invited them on stage and the conversation that ensued and what they were sharing was actually huge because, again, they're talking about what they used to do naturally and ceremonially within their tribes. Now they're not able to because they don't have the ability anymore. What they used to be able to buy for a very small amount of money now cost them a whole lot of money. And right. it has nothing to do with what they did or didn't do. It has everything to do with the way in which right now the marketplace is taking this on. So, again, to, to your point, like, you're you not you wrong. Are, you see Lord yeah. Shiva, like that's that, what? And yeah, for me too, indigenous tribes coming in and saying, hey, what's going on here? How can we make sure that this is actually um, in a way not overdone? But so your your background being Colombian, right? Yes, so it, we say to say that your ancestors probably used these medicinal avenues mm -hmm. as did mine. And here we are 2023 going through all of the growth of society. And now we're like, oh man, this is what our, our, our ancestors have been using for years. If you think about in Indian culture, you know, we douse our food in turmeric. Any, anybody listening out there, if you use turmeric, you know what I'm talking about. 
If you're Indian, you know what I'm talking about. Your your teeth, your fingernails, your bowls, you have a white shirt, you're done. That you get the stain there, it's over. It's a wrap. But turmeric, anti-inflammatory, one of the strongest anti-inflammatories out there. But what has a pharmaceutical industry done? We've put out certain medications like acetaminophen, ibuprofen that are antipyretics, anti-inflammatories. And when I was growing up, my grandmother was like, here, have a tablespoon of this. It was disgusting. Mm. Man, that I feel good. And it was an impact on my liver. So our ancestors knew something back then. We're trying to bring that up now. And Rick Doblin brings these, these protesters on stage to say their piece because there is a valid conversation there. Yeah. Hold on a second. We, are, we, we knew this worked. We have more scientific evidence behind it. But should we now be more inclusive and, and incorporate the cultures that have been at the forefront of this? I think that's a huge, huge thing to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you, you pointed to it earlier. You had a, a, an opportunity to connect with uh, Dr. Matt Johnson from uh, John Hopkins. He's really renowned, one of the most published scientists on human effects of psychedelics. So with that conversation, why don't we go ahead and check it out, listen to it. All right, uh, Carl here with Beyond Marketing, medical director here at Beyond Marketing. Today I am sitting with Dr. Matthew Johnson, professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Johnson is one of the foremost leaders in the psychedelic and ketamine research space. So definitely want to talk to him more about some of the conversation we have today, but let's get right into it, Dr. Johnson. So you recently stated something that really stood out to me, and I wanted to ask you more about that. You discussed how the range of psychedelics would go even further um, as preventive medicine, making this a profound impact on human consciousness. So I'd like to ask, you know, how would you measure where we are in that journey as far as the psychedelic movement going in that direction? In terms of altering human consciousness? As preventive care, if you will. As preventative care. Oh, okay, I got you. Yeah, you talked about something about that in the past, and it kind of stood out to me as one of the things you looked into. Yeah, yeah, these are hard things to study, but, but you know, the use of psychedelics as preventative measures, like, for example, does Abby an experience on a psychedelic sure. prevent the development of PTSD for a trauma that you may encounter five years from now? Right. You know, long after that, rather than the psychedelic use being after the trauma. Right. Um, that's really difficult to study because you need so many people to kind of prove the coit because not everyone is... I mean, we hope none of the people are going to have a traumatic experience, you know. Um, and so you need to have studies with far more people than will eventually even have the problem to be corrected. So it's very difficult, but I can imagine a future. I think I was at a meeting talking a bit about this where, you know, I could imagine the FDA's role evolving. Yeah. And, you know, now it's like exclusively focused on fixing diseases, fixing disorders. But... You know, we, when we look broadly, there's like many more questions that don't fit into that. Sure. Like, you know, prevention of future or on prevention of future um, mental health. Mental health problems. Sure. And sure. also just optimization. Okay. So regardless of whether you're meeting any threshold for having a disorder. Right. You can still be higher functioning. Right. You know, be more well adjusted. Right. More head, be less, more overly anxious. Sure. No, that's a great way to look at it. And I think the idea is to have an encompassed level of preventive care, not just physically speaking, but mentally speaking. And if psychedelics can become a part of that in terms of an overall workup, it would be a great consideration. So I appreciate your answer on that. So um, the touch on your research, it's been a catalyst for our understanding of psychedelic medicine. So what is your take on the outpatient ketamine space? Because we deal with a lot of clients are in that space. And the questions we come up with are, you know, what are 
is doing right? What are they doing wrong? So if you had to answer that question from your perspective from what you've seen, what are ketamine providers in the outpatient space doing correctly? Or what are they doing incorrectly if you have any insight on that? There's just so much variability that sure. goes on. And so I, I think to optimize the effectiveness of psychedelic therapy in general, where we're talking about ketamine or another substance, you know, you want to have that really strong rapport um, between the, the therapist and the patient. Right. You want to have, you want to make sure the person is prepared for how they're going to feel right. during the session. Yeah, you can't know exactly, but do the best you can to prepare life for the experience sure. and discuss the experience afterwards. A lot of times that doesn't happen with ketamine. And sometimes it happens to a minimal level. I think that the more that you have those elements, the more you're both keeping it safe, sure. but also increasing the chances that it will work, you know, maximizing efforts. So in a way, you're saying that the patient education provides this patient confidence to be committed to treatment and at the same time have a better understanding of what's taking place. And in terms of the information we provide to the patient, sometimes it can be very minimal in nature and more of a basic intake and not really guiding the right. patient in the right direction. Because the patient's calling you for treatment and they're asking what's best for them, not I want to do ketamine, right? And it becomes this kind of Pandora's box that gets open. So right. I appreciate the answer. Thank you. So my last question for you is with the, with the growth of concierge psychiatric treatment centers or, or companies, if you will, uh, in offices around the country, what support structures do you see that could be in place before, during, and after a patient's treatment. And so this is for psychedelics in general? Yeah, like, psychedelics in general, right. So the question is what what needs to be there for so sports structure-wise in terms of integration, do you recommend yeah. counseling to be done integratively during the treatment process, post-treatment specifically with psychedelics? And I know it's different for different conditions, but in your conventional train of thought, where do you see the sports structures to be the most needed in this, in this current realm? Yeah. I. I well, certainly there needs to be a minimal level during the preparation phase. And I, sure. I'm not sure, no one has a magic under there. Right. Something, gosh, two, three, four hours. If you're dipping below two hours, I'd get nervous. I, I'd feel more comfortable at four hours. I'd wind up to eight hours, you know, preparation of my studies. Sure. Um, but, eight hours. But yeah, across multiple, um, oh, okay. like, like spread it, like four or two hour meetings. Well, I mean, gotcha. Like for example, in preparation to quit smoking and to, you know, to take psilocybin to quit smoking. But to answer your question, I think the biggest thing we need to improve upon is the integration phase. Right. I think we could probably getting, be getting a lot more mileage if we explore, tried different things during the, by integration, I mean, after meetings with the therapist, after sure. the session day, with the, the psilocybin sure, experience sure. day. And you talk about the addiction side of things and smoking. I know with your data and your studies in relation with that and how profound that is, do you feel like the addiction industry is going to take a bit of a more proactive charge with integrative counseling rather than the conventional treatment of patches and, and other medications? Do you see that integrative counseling is more useful in the addiction treatment setting as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in radio counseling, I think there's going to be a huge role for supporting people after Sure. These experiences and probably the more we figure out, the more we can work with people in different ways. Sure. After sure. Yeah. That initial session. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And last question. I know your uh, your study with psilocybin and the and the uh, usage of it for the cessation of smoking. 
any updates, any progress that you could share with us in terms of where you're at with that? I know that you have some great literature there, but anything that's come out in the recent couple of months? We recently conducted our 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 last six month follow up session in the and our current randomized trial of psilocybin transplant and cessation. So Wonderful. hopefully be on the lookout for a public a new publication. Okay. In the great. next six months, you know, hopefully in the soonest. Sure, time, sure, but, sure, sure. But within the next half year or so. Yeah, there's no 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 pressure or rush, right? No, yeah. <laughs> I understand. I appreciate but that. I should, you know, and and we're also nearly beginning your treatment of our NIH funded okay. study following that and it was a multi-site study uh, a double blind study to it for psilocybin for shrinking cessation. So the data is a little more uh, wider based in terms of patient enrollment and right. numbers, all sample size all that. Exactly. Right. Right. See how really robust this is though. Working you know, different treatment settings yeah, different sure. probables. That's yeah. really exciting to hear. Well I, I appreciate your efforts and Again, thank you for what you're doing for the field. Uh, we're very grateful, and more importantly, thank you for taking the time today to talk to us. Thank you, Dr. Dawson. My pleasure. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. You know, one thing that stood out to me was his, and just by the way, how cool is that? Dr. Matt Johnson has been in this space for a long, he's, he's one of the OGs when it comes to a little less work. Two decades, I would say, a little less than two decades. The man's impact is is profound. He's up there with your, you know, your Andrew Huberman's, mm-hmm. your no, your Robin Carter Harris's, your your Nolan Williams, your Lex Friedman's. He's, he's he's in that in that realm, in terms of somebody who has a huge impact and influence on how we look at the conventional scope of psychedelics. Thanks to him, psilocybin and addiction treatment is going to be uh, groundbreaking. Thanks to him, MDMA is getting a lot of support in a, in a conventional sense. So, yeah, it was. It was really cool. And to be honest with you, I appreciate him talking to us because afterwards we had concluded the interview. I mean, he looked exhausted. I think he had been traveling like for 15 hours. So yeah, I was like, man, thank you for doing this interview, but you look tired. And he's like, I am. He's like, all right, well, it's time to get some rest, you know, but yeah, what a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So good. One of the key things that stood out to me was his focus on integration. It's one of this, I, I like, this is something that keeps coming up in conversation between us and Karen and everybody that was also there, the importance of what's being done post-treatment. What are people doing at home? What kind of support are they getting? Are they following through? Because the medicine itself is, 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 is the starting point. The treatment itself is what, what follows. Well, I, I think we have to think about it the same way when you look at anything else in healthcare or, or, or in your physical and mental realm. You know, it's not just taking a medication and, and and calling it a day with psychedelics because there is such a neurogenesis taking place because you're modulating neurotransmitter traffic. I mean, we're not just doing something that's very minimally invasive. We are changing brain chemistry. If that's occurring, what are we doing to help that processing? You know, in, in, in artificial intelligence, we talk about this term NLP, right? Natural language processing. There's this natural human processing that I call NHP for, for us as humans that we have. And that starts to be altered, if you will. And when you have somebody working with you on behavioral activation, radical acceptance, emotional regulation, interpersonal effectiveness, these are CBT and DBT skills that can be applied because you're able to function better. Then this these treatments become so much more valuable. That's the exciting part to me. Because what the old school train of thought was, you're not feeling your best let's uptake or increase that level of serotonin with this chemical compound, AKA medication 
And then we leave our patients in the wind. And I'm not saying we do that these days, but for the, for the, for the matter of looking at the last couple of decades, that's how it's been. Mm-hmm. So this approach that Dr. Johnson's talking about is something that he's emphasizing. And you said to him, you heard him say, I prefer something more than two hours because that's how much work needs to be done. And a lot of the, the trauma that is being addressed with psychedelics isn't being addressed by it being wiped out. It's not what's happening. It's being brought to the forefront to attack head on, but you have the tools and the power and the conviction to do so. And that's why integration is so important with, with the psychedelic movement. I, we don't want people dosing themselves, microdosing, macrodosing without any type of structural support. And I know we have to keep saying that. We keep saying that all the, all the time when we talk, Sebastian, but we have to because yeah. what's going to happen is you're going to have a large number of people that are going to abuse this. And that is legitimately going to happen. That's a concern, but we want to advocate for as much education on this as we can. For sure, for sure. And I see it as, a, as our responsibility. I mean, we take a look at something so simple as tobacco that has been used by Native uh, cultures for a very long time as a useful medicine now for the majority of people causes cancer. And I think yeah. it largely has to do with with the abuse. So yeah, of course, we're going to keep bringing this up because back to what we were saying earlier on the one panel, if we were taking too many steps forward without actually taking some time to integrate we're going to end up in a worse place than we're at right now. And the whole purpose of what's going on right now with psychedelic medicine is how can we make sure we can prevent what happened in the past, not repeat, not repeat history. There's this romanticism of, of medicine that we keep, you know, having around society. The truth is, as you mentioned, tobacco, guess who was advertising tobacco back in the sixties? It was the doctors. Mm. We're in the white coat with the cigarette, right? Like that's what we were doing. So (laughs) I, I think we have to question what is put in front of us, we have to take it, take the advice in the right way. And again, when we talk about how we look at psychedelics from an integrative standpoint, I'm literally trying to say we have to look beyond psychedelics. See what I did there? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Had to throw it in there, right? But that's what we have to do. That's why this 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 segment, this this show is called Beyond Psychedelics, because we're trying to look beyond the scope of what we're we're talking about specifically and what circumvents around that process. Amazing. Amazing. What a time to be alive. What a time to be in the space. I truthfully believe that we're all here making history in many different avenues and beyond marketing, beyond psychedelics. We find ourselves in a place where we can really support people getting better, specifically with these treatments. Dr. Curran, thanks a bunch for taking the time. And again, today, really excited to have shared this conversation on our experience of psychedelic science, MAPS 2023. And man, what's to come? Who knows? But we're here for it. Can't wait for the next one. Let's do it. That's right. (laughs) Awesome, everybody. Thanks a bunch.